Thank you for making it out tonight, uh, for being in the house of God uh, this evening. We appreciate and we are grateful that you came. Uh, I do uh, want to go out uh, and, ex and, and just let you know that I'm not that sick. In fact, I'm not sick. Yeah, we like to play denial, isn't it? No, but the truth is, uh, I just wanted to do my civic duty and make sure that I didn't come uh, this morning uh, and uh, pass anything unwanted to anybody here. Uh, but Brother Victor called me up after that, after service. Uh, immediately, he says, hello. I said, hello, brother. He said, Pastor, you sound okay. <laughs> I said, yes, I'm perfectly fine. Actually, I only did what I did because I didn't want to pass on uh, if there was any reason for concern. Uh, and that was the only reason I decided to stay back this morning. But I'm glad I heard some good reports, the sermon uh, uh, and, and the feedback that I got. I'm glad uh, that you were ministered to and you were helped this morning. I want you to go with me to the book of Joshua 24 tonight. The book of Joshua 24. And as we go into the Word of God, we know that Ukraine uh, has been in a war with Russia recently. And don't worry, I'm not going to preach on that. But there was something that happened in Ukraine back in 2004 that greatly drew my attention as I was putting the sermon together. There was a man, and I can't pronounce his second name, but his first name is Victor. His second name is Yushchenko. You know how you know Ukrainian and Russian names are not easy to pronounce. Y-U-S-C-H-E-N-K-O. So let's just call him Victor tonight, okay? For the sake of simplicity. So he stood for presidency in the Ukraine, but vehemently opposed by the ruling party, Victor was faced with disfigured and he almost lost his life and he was mysteriously poisoned. This was not enough to deter him from standing for the presidency. In fact, on the day of the election, Victor was comfortably in the lead. The ruling party, not to be denied, they tempered with the results. How many can say Malaysia? So the state-run, the state-run television decided, you know how these guys today like to appoint and employ uh, uh, media specialists and public relation officers, like you heard the recent story about Najib paying someone in America 140 over thousand a month just to keep his image clean. Right? So the state media of Ukraine at that time, they refused to give the victory over to Victor. So what they did was they came out on the TV and they made this announcement. They said, ladies and gentlemen, we announced that the challenger Victor has been decisively defeated. However, on that big screen, have you seen RTM? They have a small little individual that doing the sign language yes. so this sign language individual was a rebel or rather a, a, she was an opposition supporter she was with victor and so while they are announcing this on the big screen he has been defeated what this lady does on the side there is she shows the sign language to the deaf and dumb and she shows them that you know what they are cheating 
They're not telling the truth. They're lying. He didn't lose. Go and tell everyone you know they've corrupted the election results. And so she just completely gave the wrong signal or the other, another signal. And so all the people who saw that, who understood what she said, began texting everyone they knew. She said, I'm addressing all the deaf citizens of Ukraine. They are lying, she said. I'm ashamed to translate those lies. Yushchenko is our president. The deaf community sprang into gear. The text message, they, all through their friends. And eventually, over the coming weeks, the orange revolution occurred. As a million people wearing orange made their way to the capital city of Kiev, demanding a new election. Eventually, the government was forced to meet their demands. A new election was held and Victor became the victor. I added that in. <laughs> but that's the truth. He won. But I want to draw your attention to that simple illustration tonight. Because how many know, many times we look at the big picture in life and we don't see the little things that God is doing. We hear the negativity. We hear the pessimistic reviews. We hear all the wrong things that the media propagates. Yet here is the word of God. It stands so little in the face of all the corruption, all the nonsense, all the, you know, a sin and immorality that the world is propagating. And here in the midst of all the negativity is the small little truth. That you and I have to choose to embrace and believe. And if we're not careful, the big screen can draw, leer, and, and, and gravitate. And we can be gravitated to it. Start believing lies that are not true. I want to preach to you a sermon I've called, Done Me No Wrong, out of Joshua 24. A sermon I've called, Done Me No Wrong. This sermon... I'll tell you a little bit of the background, came about in a conversation that I was having with Pastor Allen uh, uh, this week. And in that time that I was talking to him about a few things, we were sharing some things here, and he brought my attention to a story that I will read to you at the end that I felt really brought um, an incredible amount of clarity and understanding to life. Life this evening has a way of altering our perspectives. Things that we go through. Life has a way of blinding us from the truth. And when you read the book of Exodus and you look at the Exodus and the journey, the journey the children of Israel had to go through was represented and it is a symbolic image of our walk with God. It is a mirror. When you read the book of Exodus, you read the book of Joshua, you read the journey from the time they left Egypt all the way to the time they arrived the promised land. It was a mirror and it is still a mirror today of what we face and go through in our walk with God. And in that, they complained. 
In that journey, they murmured. In that journey, they rebelled. In that journey, they disobeyed. Before arriving Canaan, before arriving the promised land, you see this being the pattern, beloved. God was there with them, but yet they complained, they murmured, they rebelled, they disobeyed. So human, if we can use a simple term tonight. But in the book of Joshua 24, I want to draw your attention to some of the last words that Joshua spoke to them. And we're going to read a few verses here and then we'll read some more in between later. In Joshua 24, 14 to 18, the Bible says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. This was a command. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose then for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, the Bible says, we will serve the Lord. Verse 16. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. So as you read this text, we know, beloved, that as Joshua is speaking this over those people, there were people who didn't make it. Yet in the midst of those who didn't make it, there were many who made it to the promised land. Some died in the desert. And some never made it into the promised land. Yet the story of Exodus is a story of God journeying with His people. Can I say that again? The story of Exodus is a mirror. A story of God journeying with His people. Despite what their actions produced in and for them, the consequences that they had to endure, God was still with them. God still brought them through. He led them through to the promise. As I preached a few weeks ago, I said in Joshua 24, there's a passage we read and I preached on that. All came to pass. That means nothing God said didn't happen. Everything that God said came to pass, which is a testimony to God's infallible character. He doesn't change. He doesn't make mistakes. Can you say amen? When He says something to us tonight, if He speaks that over us, then beloved, when you read through the book of Exodus and you read through the book of Joshua, there is a reality and an understanding that life was not a bed of roses. There were ups and downs. There were dry seasons. There were wildernesses. There were deserts they went through. But all in all, 
one thing is true, and I want you to get this. God journeyed with them. I need you to get that tonight because I'm going somewhere in all of this. For those who made it, here's Joshua. He's speaking to those who made it. He's speaking to a congregation who made it to the promised land. And in light of the miracles that God has done, Joshua, who is their leader, calls on them to declare in a public and solemn manner that they will serve the Lord. This is an occasion to celebrate. This is an event to celebrate. Make it public, guys. Make it known, guys. Tell everyone here, make it a public declaration that you have made up your mind to serve the Lord. It was a call to remembrance. A call to remembrance that if it wasn't for God, they would not have made it. If it wasn't for God, they wouldn't have made it. His hands that were present in the desert became the greatest source of their strength. In the dryness of life, the unseen hand of God was the only reason they completed the journey. They finished the journey because God was with them. And so Joshua reminds them of three things. As I'm reading this, I realize that many a times we go through life and we don't see this to be true because it is not evident to the visible eyes. He makes them publicly declare that they will serve God and he points to them a few things that happened in that journey. In that season of their life, he points these few truths that I want you to observe with me. Joshua 24, 6-12, he says, Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen, to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord and He put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. Verses 8, And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, you remember, he tried to cast a spell. He said, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel. He sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan, came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. Verses 12. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. 
here's Joshua. He's revealing to them all these things you had no clue about God was doing on the background. God was protecting you. That's my first thought right here. God's protection was upon you when you didn't see His protection. You didn't think that He was protecting you in the desert. You didn't think that He was present there. But if God wasn't present, then the Amorites would have killed you. If God wasn't present, then Balaam's curse would have got you. If God wasn't present, then the hornets would have come and got you and stung you. If God wasn't present, then there would have been no protection at all. How many times we miss that? You know, we see the problems we are going through. In the, you know, like I shared that with you. We see the picture and we begin to assume, oh, my life is so much of problems. I'm going through this. I'm going through that. And I'm facing this upheaval and that upheaval, this trouble and that trouble. And we don't realize that on the background, God is actually doing things we can't even see. If God didn't do any of those things, if God didn't protect them, they would have died in the desert. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I want to draw your attention to one thing. He protected a rebellion, rebellious, stubborn, murmuring, complaining group of people. Yes. Because He loved them. Yes. How many times we don't see the hand of God's protection. Then the second thing that Moses or Joshua is bringing to the attention is not only the protection of God that he highlights to them, but he says to them, remember God's promises. In Joshua 24, 3 to 5, look at this passage. It says, Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among among them afterward I brought you out God said I will bring you out of Egypt but how did God do it the ten plagues which was solely the working of God not the working of men why did God cause all the ten plagues to happen because he made a promise and he's going to keep his promise you see, this is what we miss many times when we see life and we look at the ups and downs. We don't realize that God has kept the end of His promise. If we keep ours, if we are obedient to Him, if we honor Him, if we would submit ourselves to Him, then all will come to pass. This is what the Word of God is showing us, that nothing stopped His promises from coming to pass. He says, I will provide for you in the desert, even in the dryness of the heat he gave them water even in the dryness of the heat he gave them food supply even in the dryness of the heat he gave them shelter even in the dryness the bible says your sandals didn't wear out your clothes didn't wear out because god kept his promise 
The highlight tonight is this. That we can go through life. We can journey through life and not realize that before God does something, He's doing many other things on the background. Before He brought them out of Egypt, He had to bring ten plagues. Moses couldn't have done that. Pharaoh couldn't have done that. It was God who had to do it. And God did that in order to bring His promise to pass. The third thing that Joshua highlights here is God's provision. Look in Joshua 24, 13. I've given you a land for which you did not labor. Cities which you did not build and you dwell in them, you eat of the vineyards, olive groves, which you did not plant. How many know, beloved, the equation is simple? Let me bring this down. The equation is simple. If it wasn't for God, they would not have made it out alive. If it wasn't for God's protection, promises, and provision, they wouldn't have survived the desert. God was the factor to the success of their journey. Can I say that again? It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Joshua. It wasn't a certain individual. It was God that became the factor in the success of their journey. In like manner, beloved, you and I can go through life and realize that through all the decisions we make, choices, people's treatment, circumstances we face. We look at life and we feel that life is so unfair. Can I say to you, beloved, God was the factor, not the troublemaker. No, no, I want you to hear me out. Hear me out carefully. God was the factor, not the troublemaker. Why am I saying that? Because we have the tendency to always take it out on God. We always find somewhere, somehow, to blame God. I was reading a story in a book. A tree, the tree that grows in Brooklyn. It's a series of books. But in this book, there was a story about a lady named Sissy Romali. And this lady was, you know, the story is, a, is, is too long for me to share, but what the real essence of it is, she was a very broken-hearted woman. And part of the reason is because she gave birth to 10 stillborn child, children. 10 times she gave birth. Baby comes out, it's blue in color. Dead. Again, let's try again. Dead. Again, try again, dead. Ten times she gave birth and ten times came the stillborn child. But she was determined in her heart. She said, I believe there will be a day where I will give birth. And so one day she conceived again and so she went to her friends and she shared the story with them and she said you know what this is I'm I'm, I'm with child now I'm going to give birth in this hospital and so on but her friends didn't want to really breach broach the subject with her talk to her much about it because they know her past but she said I'm going to give birth in this hospital with a Jewish doctor and so she went in for birth at the time when she was due and this time the baby came out 
and again it was blue. The eleventh stillborn. She looked down, she put her head, she said, and the doctor immediately turned and said, get me the oxygen. The doctor placed the oxygen mask on the baby and the baby came back alive. Can I tell you, beloved, you don't realize how many times Jesus pulls out his oxygen mask and places it on you so that you will survive. You thought it's over. And he pulls out and he places it on you. And you know what? Oh, and you come back alive. And the baby starts moving up, breaking out in cry, in tears. And I'm telling you, beloved, that doctor that we serve, the great physician, does things that we don't even know in the background. You see, this is the world we live in today. A world that points fingers at God. And He, in our passage, as I bring this down, He's considering all that God has done. He's visiting all these memorial stones with the children of Israel. And He says to them, against the background of what God has done, He makes this profound statement. I want you to catch this in verses 15. If it seems evil to you, if you can qualify and say, God has been evil to you. If you can qualify and say, God, you've not been un you have been unfair to If it seems evil to you, after all that God has done, if it seems evil to you, then don't serve Him. It's okay, don't serve Him. Make up your mind, you're not going to serve Him. After all that He has done, reflecting in hindsight, Looking back to all that he has done, we realize from the story of Exodus here, he was not the cause of their troubles, he was the answer to their problems. I want you to catch that statement. He was not the cause of their problems. He was the answer to their problems. He didn't cause the problems for them. They did it themselves by rebelling, by disobeying, by complaining, by murmuring. It was not God's fault. But it's so easy to point out to Him because He seems to be a gracious God. You are the one who made me marry this person. You are the one who did this to me. You are the one who caused me to take this job. You are the one because it's easy to blame Him. The children of Israel knew deep down in their hearts that it was their own decision. It was their own choices. It was the responsibility that was placed on them that led to their deflection. Look at this in verse 17. This is their statement to Joshua. They said, For the Lord our God is He, is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. You notice? They knew that the only reason they made it was because of God. Do you see this passage? He said it was because God was there. See, when you're going through the desert, when you're going through painful seasons, when going through trials and traumas, when you're going through difficulties, it's always easy to be blinded from seeing the hand of God. 
It's easy to see the problem and forget or, or rather miss the miracle that God is doing. The sun is about 865,000 miles away from us. But the smallest coin can block out the sun if you hold it close enough to your eyes. That's perspective. The small problems in life can cause you to be blocked from seeing what God is doing. The small problems that you face in life can become a discouragement that you no longer see God. This is where we begin to entertain negative thoughts. We complain like the children of Israel. We murmur, why isn't God answering? Why must God allow me to go through this? Why the pain? Why the agony? Why doesn't God hear my prayer? Can I say to you this evening, because we are so lousy self-evaluators, we think we are right and God is wrong. You know, every one of us seated here, we can justify ourselves to say that we are right and God is wrong. We can say, no, 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 he has to do it this way. And then you talk, you know, I was listening to some of this, this, this uh, uh, you know, the, the recent uh, election and all of that. If you just listen to different political parties, I'll, I'll tell you what, what happens, right? You, you may be seated here today and you may have certain ideologies that you think is right. And then someone else may think their ideology is right. You are in a room filled with 15, 20 different ideas. When you listen to the political party talk, PAS got something to say, AMNO got something to say, Pakatan uh, 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 got something to say, everyone's got something to say, and they all think they're right. Right? Oh, you keep the promise, you know, and, and everybody's like, yeah, I heard one of the guys come out and say, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, I think the recent MB in Kedah came out and he made this statement. You know, I was a past boy from a young man. I grew up in a past home. I grew up. So the problem here is he thinks he's right while the other guys think they're right as well. So you're seated here today and because we are so lousy self-evaluators we look at ourselves you know what we think i'm a pretty good person yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what wrong did i do oh my gosh trust me beloved how many counseling sessions have i set in and people actually tell them tell you pastor what wrong did i do yeah. why god not answering me why should why what what wrong happened What did I do? Right? I'm perfect what? I'm the guy who prays. I'm the guy who is in church. I'm the guy that... Listen, beloved. You want to know truth? Talk to your pastor. He'll tell you truth about who you are. I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm, I'm saying you need authority. You need God who can bring correction and tell you, you know what, you don't, don't, you're not all that. But the truth, what I'm getting to, beloved, we think we are right many a times. And that's why, because we think we are right, we feel like we must point to someone who's wrong. So we point at God. And so why do we do that? 
Number one, because we always evaluate in the short term. We look at the moment, the now, the current, and we say, why didn't he give me food? Right? Isn't that why the children of Israel complained and murmured? They thought they were right. Somehow, why isn't God giving me food? We need food now. We need water now. We need something to continue this journey. Why didn't He give it to us? And so they start looking in the short term of life. And that's why we assume that God is not being fair to us. Because God doesn't see at the short term. God sees at the long term. And so right now, you look at your bank account and you say, it's zero. And you're like, God, why aren't you doing anything? You don't care. You're not providing. You're not meeting my needs. You're not. And God says, is that all I care about short term? I'm trying to help you understand. God doesn't see just the here and now. He sees the big picture. The second reason why we always think we're right and God is wrong is because when you go through the desert long enough and you don't see miracles, you don't see things happen, you, don't, you, you, you feel like the season of dryness. How many know when you, know, you have a heat wave in Malaysia or even in, in, you, know, you go into a desert, you know, when, when it's super, super hot, sometimes you just cannot think clearly. After some time, there's this term, you become disillusioned. You become so consumed. You you can't think straight anymore. There's no clarity anymore. And that can be another reason why you start blaming God. God is to be blamed because you're going through the season for so long. The third reason that I think people blame God is because of ego and denial. We think we're right, like I said. So here are the children of Israel. In their minds, they feel that they deserved it. They feel that they deserve to be treated better. They feel that they deserve. Entitlement has crept in. I shouldn't be going through this. Why must God allow me to face this pain? Why must God allow me to face this struggle? Why must God allow me to do, go through this? And we have our ego and our denial. You know, it's very fascinating, beloved. You read Nehemiah chapter 9 and we're going to look at that. Here's Nehemiah. And I want you to observe this text with me in Nehemiah 9, 16 to 17. But they and our fathers acted proudly. You know who he was talking about? The children of Israel. They were in the desert, yet they were so egoistical, so arrogant. They had nothing in life, and yet they behaved like they owned everything in life. You know, it's, that's pride. They hardened their necks. They rebelled. They never wanted to listen to what God said and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey. They were not mindful of your wonders. Notice that word. They were not mindful of your wonders. That means God was doing so much before them, but they couldn't see it. They 
They hardened their necks in rebellion. They appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. With all that attitude, with all that hung-ups, with all that character flaws, with all that nature inside of them, the Bible ends this verse so powerfully, and you did not forsake them. The credit goes back to God. God journeyed with them. If it wasn't for God, they would not have made it through the desert. Listen carefully to me. This is what perspective is. There are those who have experienced the loss of life maybe their loved ones as you heard pastor mark preach this morning he talked about people who you know experience the loss of their loved ones and they question you know what god is punishing me or i i, I begin to uh, uh, realize this that you know what sometimes people pray you know, and, and, and we heard Delisha a few weeks ago share a testimony. Someone prayed for, you know, she said, you know, God, hold the rain back. But what if one kilometer away from her, I'm just giving an example, someone prayed for rain. Have you thought about that? So that person will say, God didn't answer my prayer. You see how people measure God? Put two soldiers together. One say, I want to go into battle, I want to win this war. The other one also, both Christians says, I want to win. But eventually one wins, the other loses. Can you turn around and say, God was unfair? Have you thought about that? You see, we always want to win. We always want to, but we don't realize that the position God holds up in heaven is a position that He is a God of justice. He is a God of fairness. He is a God who sees it all. Maybe that soldier who prayed, you know what, God, let me win this war. Maybe God saw beyond his prayer and said, you know what, this man 10 years down the road will lose his son. And that his son who went and fought, he will lose him. I'm not going to let him experience this pain now. The pain may come later. And God sees things beyond what we can see. He sees the big picture. The key word we find in this passage again and again, 15 times to be precise as I close right here, 15 times he says, serve, serve. Serve, serve. 15 times he repeated this in verses 14 through 33. Serve, to serve God. To serve God simply means to fear Him. To serve God means to obey Him. To serve God means to worship Him. And so they were so used to pleasing a man, Pharaoh, do you remember the children of Egypt? They were so used to pleasing a man. They were slaves. They slogged at, sl at Pharaoh's mercy. They served with rigor, the Bible says. They were forced to labor for the man for a purpose of a man's agenda. And now Joshua commands them to serve. 
I want you to hear me this evening, beloved, carefully. He simply is telling them, listen guys, fix your heart on God, not on people. Be God-centered, not people-centered. Because how many know people can offend you, hurt you, and they can actually do things against you? This was Pharaoh. So they were used to serving a man and pleasing a man. And you know, they became people pleasers rather than God pleasers. And now Joshua is breaking that mindset from them. He's saying you don't serve men anymore. You serve God. That means you do what you do because you do it for God. You don't do it for the pastor. You don't do it for the leader. You don't do it for an individual. I do it for God. I come to church not for you. I come to church for God. I give not for people. I give for God. I serve not for people. I serve because I love God. And this is what Joshua was teaching them. Don't serve people. Don't serve Pharaoh. Serve God. Today, people have become bitter with God. They point their finger at God. Why? Because of another individual's mistake. Human errors. The story that I want to share with you is a story that comes from a very old book, the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I close with this. Polycarp of Smyrna was one of the martyrs that died in that time. As Polycarp was being taken into the arena, a voice came from heaven. The voice said, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one saw who had spoken, but our brothers who were there heard the voice. When the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. The proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp. Polycarp had been captured. Uh, sorry, on hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him. The proconsul tried to persuade him to apostatize or apostatize, saying, Have respect for your old age. This is what the proconsul, listen what the proconsul said. Have respect for your old age, swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent and say, Down with the atheist. Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked, heathen multitude that were in the stadium. So you must understand, those days when they martyred a follower of Christ, they took them into the Roman cell. Uh, 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 the word would be, um, not emporium, but, but it's a huge, like a stadium, what we will call a stadium. And they would take them in, and in there, what they would do is, they would begin to martyr them. And so as they were all there, they were all screaming and there were wicked people. And they said, down with the atheists, swear, urged the proconsul, reproach Christ, deny Christ and I will set you free. Polycar made this statement. Listen to what he says. 86 years have I served him 
and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? 34 years of my life I've served him. Or maybe not even 34, 21 years, 22 years of my life I have served him. He has done me no wrong. God has never done me wrong. People have, but not God. The story of Exodus is a powerful reminder that human error is inevitable, but God is infallible. God never makes mistakes. God makes no error. And I declare to you, beloved, can someone attend to him, please? God makes no error. And I declare to you, beloved, right now, right here, that in the context of all of this, you go through life, you have to remind yourself that God has done me no wrong. You made mistakes. You got into relationships you shouldn't have. You made blunders. You made bad financial decisions. You did things you shouldn't. You rebelled again. You disobeyed God. But I tell you, God didn't do wrong to you. And that statement will stay in my heart. Because I've been through. I've seen things. And I can stand before you today. For 30 years of my life. Even before I'm a Christian, God has done me no wrong. And that's true even for you tonight. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes.